art universe, damning those who rebuked its imaginative creations as kitsch or illustration. Not that Robert Williams loved big-eye art, but the idea of hanging kitsch seemed cool once again, and collectors came out of the woodwork to purchase inexpensive big-eye art iterations to hang in hip coffee houses, diners, hairdressing studios, and nightclubs. The creepier the kitsch factor, the better for the walls. All of which begs the question, what is kitsch exactly? Is it the cheap, mass-produced stuff one could have found in a blue-chip stamp catalog? Or is it the high-cost but intentionally low-brow work of mutual funds broker-turned-artist Jeff Koons, who sells massive balloon dogs for tens of millions of dollars? What makes one worthless and the other immensely valuable? The remarkable Norwegian painter Odd Nerdrum wrote a book about the kitsch conundrum called naturally, kitsch, more than art. Nerdrum's book wishes to resuscitate the word kitsch from the insult applied to artwork that offends the modernist or postmodernist sensibility. After hearing his beautiful oil paintings belittled with the K-word, Nerdrum made it his life goal to elevate kitsch from being an insult to a badge of honor. Without stating it overtly, Nerdrum's kitsch book pays homage to keen art and his-her particular aesthetic. Modernism itself has become a tradition that has conquered the entire Western world. Institutions, critics, artists, and educated people are obliged to be open for the new. My concern is what modernism has pushed out as its other, in the same way that Christianity demonized its competitors, so too did modernism, and the rule of modernism's hell was christened kitsch signifying the antithesis of modern art. Kitsch became the unified concept for all that was not intellectual and new, all that was conceived as brown, old-fashioned, sentimental, melodramatic, and pathetic. As the Austrian author and philosopher Hermann Brach put it in the 1930s, Kitsch is the Antichrist, stagnation, and death. We all know the gypsy girl and the little boy with a tear, the grandmother with a child on her lap and the fisherman with his pipe, the two silhouettes against a sunset, and not the least, the moose by the lake. All of this became a forbidden area for the tastes of the educated. The so-called simple and blind taste for this imagery stood in contrast to Marx, Freud, and the entire modern elite, who had been seeing through everything down to its smallest particle. Modernism must have died a bit when Walter Keene turned his marketing talents from selling real estate to mass-produced postcards, posters, and lithographs of weepy waifs, when he moved art from its gallery-based confines to telephone poles, tourist shops, and other populist marketplaces. Even Andy Warhol paid tribute. It didn't matter much whether critics hated the work and lampooned it as kitsch and sentimental trash if Joan Crawford, Natalie Wood, Kim Novak, Jerry Lewis, and Red Skelton would show theirs off with pride of ownership to syndicated newspapers and magazines. It required effort for Walter to party and pretend to care about hungry children with celebrities, businessmen, and hot young ones while introspective Margaret labored with a paintbrush at home. In his last days occupying a small cabin in La Jolla, Walter Keene could only reflect on how his behavior and claims drove away Margaret, his magic paycheck, to Hawaii, and complain of a sore arm when people asked him why he no longer painted his own big-eye art as displayed in those fancy art books. After the cover story appeared, Walter wrote an angry letter to the San Diego reader, accusing me of accepting six-figure largesse from Jehovah's Witness headquarters to play up Margaret as the true big-eye artist. <laughs> if only...
Chapter 1. Suburbia's Favorite Artist 1965 was a year of bug-eyed glory for the former real estate salesman Walter Stanley Keene. With drunken glee, Keene appeared at snooty galleries, universities, and museums, reproducing the kitschy images bearing his name on cheap postcards, greeting cards, and lithographs that found their way to walls and refrigerators in cities and suburbs, both big and small. Keene banked big money while daily papers showed him hanging out with movie stars and famous pop singers. Even Andy Warhol paid homage to the Keene kids' phenomenon. Keene bragged to reporters that he romped through life with the evident enjoyment of a terrier rolling in a clover patch. He wasn't exaggerating. This North Beach artist may well have been the most popular painter in the country, and Keene art was seemingly everywhere from the sales bins at Woolworths to the gilded mansions of Hollywood.